Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's Ben Stevens and Joe Lisi here with you, live on Football Full Circle, all across the Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius XM Channel 159. Lisi Guy, how are you doing on this Wednesday? Only one day away from another week in the NFL. Week number two starts tomorrow night in Arrowhead in Kansas City. Yeah, this is what it's all about. Middle of the week, we start to see, you know, injury reports. We start to assess the breakdowns for Saturday and Sunday. We have that matchup tomorrow night, AFC West battle. Can Justin Herbert and the crew challenge Pat Mahomes in Arrowhead? That's the main question. Can that defense hold up? They play much better in Arrowhead, and I'm talking about the Chargers, than they do in their own house. We'll see how this game plays out in just about 24 hours. We will see what happens in these next little bit, Lisey, because we're already seeing movement on that spread. We are seeing right now four and a half points in favor of Kansas City. The total that was already the loftiest, Joe, is there at 54 and a half, some movement from earlier this week. So it's four and a half now in favor of the Chiefs, 54 and a hook for that over-under. Lisey, let's dive into a few of the player props that we have available so far. Of course, a ton of focus is going to be on that quarterback comparison between Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes, who threw for 360 in week number one and five touchdowns, is booked at 295 and a half for his passing yards prop. Justin Herbert finished with 279 passing yards in the opener against the Raiders. He's at 279 in a hook, Joe. Which quarterback would you look to first or would you look to them both? Yeah, I would look to them both. I think it's pass-happy offenses, right? When you have trigger men like Herbert and obviously Mahomes and they show consistency in week one, would they put up, you said, eight touchdowns between them? They're going to be there every step of the way. So I agree with you and I agree with the assessment in terms of where these props are. Very high, but I think both players do in fact challenge 300-325 in this ballgame. But don't be shocked if the running backs take over as well. Eckler and those running backs for Kansas City, I think they could get some yards as well. I, th- I think this is a game potentially, Ben, where we might see maybe 900 yards of total offense. There is a chance for that, especially if it looks like it did last week for Kansas City and if the Chargers amp it up a little bit as well. Lisey, one bit of news for this game. We discussed it briefly yesterday. It seems Keenan Allen is going to miss tomorrow night's game in Kansas City for the Chargers. Injured that hamstring late in the first half for L.A. against Las Vegas this past Sunday. A quick turnaround, Joe. Probably not going to be available, which was big because 
as he almost had 70 receiving yards in the opening two quarters of the Chargers opening game of this year and we didn't see a ton Joe out of Mike Williams he has the highest receiving yards prop for LA at the moment at 69 in a hook how do you think the Chargers offense which would fill the void of Keenan Allen I think two ways. I think, you know, you look to Josh Palmer, the former Tennessee standout, only had about five receiving yards in the ballgame against Las Vegas. Potentially, he could be utilized in the slot in this ballgame. And Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield. The screen game, the short-to-intermediate passing game for Justin Herbert could neutralize the front seven of Kansas City. So that's where I would look on top of Mike Williams. I think Mike Williams potentially will eat in this ballgame. I mean, for him to get 70 yards in, in this game against the Chiefs secondary, I think is very doable, but I would look to the secondary receivers of Palmer and Eckler coming out of the backfield in this ballgame. I look at Austin Eckler's total props, his total yards props of receiving plus rushing. It's at 97 and a half, Joe. He had both 36 yards on the ground and through the air this past Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. That was only 72 if you do the quick math. So well under this prop expected against Kansas City at 97 and a half. But I think he will be an added component even more so in an offense where a ton is expected of Austin Eckler here in 2022. Joe, on the other side for Kansas City. We'll continue to break down this game tomorrow as well. 80 and a half is the receiving yards prop for Travis Kelsey. 59 in a hook for Juju Smith-Schuster. And in the mid-40s for Marquez Valdez-Scantling as well, Joe. The main question all offseason long, how would this Chiefs offense look? How would Patrick Mahomes look without Tyreek Hill? I think we got a very early answer to that this past Week number one against the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, 360 for Mahomes in the Chiefs' offensive air attack and five touchdowns. What can we expect in week number two? Yeah, I think the same, right? But I, I don't know if Kelsey has that big of a factor. Now, Kelsey abused the Chargers in the road game in overtime. Remember, it was his touchdown reception that sealed the deal. But I'm looking to Miko Hardim, and I am looking to McKinnon coming out of the backfield, and I'm looking at Valdez Scantling as well. I think the secondary receivers, the biggest thing that Pat Mahomes does is he spreads the football around to a number of different wide receivers. Now, he was locked into Travis Kelsey in that ball game, but I think in order for L.A., to win this ballgame, you have to neutralize Kelsey, allow those other receivers to beat you, and not number 87 in this matchup. And we'll see how it plays out tomorrow night in Kansas City. Again, the line as of right now is four and a half points in favor of the Chiefs. It was three and a half when we spoke on FFC yesterday, working in Kansas City's favor. We'll see how it continues to move by the time we get closer to kick tomorrow, just over 24 hours away from the start of week number two of the National Football League regular season. We'll continue to dive through the news and the notes that you need here for week number two of the NFL season on the other side of the break here on Football Full Circle. Some positive if you can call it that. Injury news for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the reigning defensive player of the year TJ Watt. We'll break it all down up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We are back right here on Football Full Circle on the Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius XM Channel 159. He is Joe Lisi. I am Ben Stevens. Joe, we went to break with some news and notes setting the stage for week number two of this National Football League regular season. Some positive, I guess you could say, injury news for T.J. Watt and the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday. I throw in that wrinkle, Joe, because he's still going to miss a substantial amount of time. Is T.J. Watt the reigning DPOY, but it was feared to potentially be season ending. That is not the case with TJ Watt's torn pectoral muscle because he didn't fully tear the tendon, Joe. He just needs to rehab it. He's out for around six weeks, but it's not season ending. He hopes to return some point in the middle portion of October. Lisi, how beneficial is that, of course, for the Steelers? Well, it's beneficial in the sense that he might be out there at some particular time, but expecting him to duplicate productivity the last year where he didn't have the torn peck or injured peck, I think is is high expectations. I think at the end of the day, anytime there's an injury to the peck muscle, you look at the extension in terms of the arm. And I'm not a doctor, but I did I did have some tears in my day. And when mm. you extend that arm, you're going to have to wrap it. That's going to be lack of movement or mobility, the sideline to sideline action you'll be playing through pain and then you you make one bad tackle or don't use proper form, he could be injured again. And that's the concern obviously for Pittsburgh. Now, you want him out there in some capacity. He is the glue that holds that unit together. He's the quarterback of the linebacker slash front seven. At the end of the day, if he's not in that lineup, it's going to be a huge loss. But the way they played week one, seven sacks against Joe Burrow, maybe they're bouncing back into form from where they were just a few years ago under Mike Tom. And we'll see. And again, Joe, the big thing for Pittsburgh is always that win total, right? 15 years under Mike Tomlin so far. This is now year number 16. In the first 15, the Pittsburgh Steelers won at least eight games every every regular season, including when we played just 16 games. They've been a playoff team two consecutive seasons. They've been a playoff team six of the last eight years. I'm not so sure that's going to happen, Joe, even with this semi-positive news on T.J. Watt, but it is something to keep in mind because at least we've seen odds movement in favor of the Steelers one of the more impressive week one victories to go to Cincinnati in a wild game but sack Joe Burrow seven times turn the Bengals over five times everybody was missing field goals but eventually Chris Boswell makes the game winner the walk-off in overtime from 53 yards out and when it comes to no pictures on the scorecard Joe the Pittsburgh Steelers are 1-0 and we've 
seen their odds to make the postseason get better. We've seen their odds within the AFC North division get better as well. Still the longest price, Joe, out of the four teams in the AFC North, but now 6-1. to one, It was plus 950 before this year got underway. The Ravens are still the favorites. They take care of business on the road as a 6.5-point favorite against the New York Jets to open up their 2022 season. They're plus 115, Joe. A shorter number from plus 145, but really the big difference in my mind, Lisi, is the gap now between Baltimore and the rest of the field. They entered week number one. Only 20 cents of difference between Baltimore and Cincinnati. Now the Bengals are plus 270. The Ravens are plus 115. And Lisi, all four of these teams within the AFC North right now within $5 of each other to win a divisional title. Yeah, and you look at the two teams that are, you know, have victories under their belt in terms of Baltimore and Pittsburgh. They did it with defense. The front seven, the way Baltimore was able to get after Joe Flacco, the same type of pressure that Pittsburgh put on Joe Burrow, right? Same same type of movement. Put them into long third down situations. Force them to beat you over the top. And the Jets didn't have the answers in the passing game to do that. If this front seven for Baltimore develops, they're going to be there every step of the way. Now, can they obviously maintain the consistency in the passing game. I wasn't high on Rashad Bateman this past weekend. He looked out of it, didn't look consistent with Lamar Jackson, but we know as Lamar goes, so does that offense. So I think it's an intriguing matchup with Mike McDaniel and Tua coming to Baltimore this this weekend. It's a short number, yeah. but I got to be honest with you. You know, I a lot of people putting a lot of weight into that victory over uh, the Patriots, and I thought New England would step up. They didn't, but I think they get boat raced by Baltimore this weekend. I think mm. Baltimore is a, a a significant team in terms of the offense and defensive lines. I think they win this ball game by double digits. Lisi, it is fascinating when you think about the Dolphins and that performance under Mike McDaniel for the first time in his head coaching debut. We heard Tyreek Hill afterwards say that Mike McDaniel needs a wagon or a wheelbarrow to carry around you-know-his-whats, if you follow what I'm saying there, for how aggressive his play calling is and what he has meant already in his short time with the Miami Dolphins. But when you look at Baltimore, Joe, and Warren Sharp, who you can see all across the Sports Grid Network on a daily basis here, certainly during football season, brought up a very interesting point to me, Lisi, about the Baltimore Ravens rushing offense. Look at the numbers. Not really good against the Jets this past Sunday. 21 rush attempts as a team for only 63 yards, and their most explosive was a 10-yard carry. Of course, they await the return of J.K. Dobbins, which really makes this offense multifaceted in terms of what they can do in the ground game. But Lisi, last year the Ravens were not the top rushing offense in the league as they had been in 2019 and 2020 and we saw a significant drop off from a double digit win team each of those two years to last year only winning eight games. That is going to be a key for Baltimore to keep up on this pace in my opinion as the favorites to win the AFC North Lisey is to get that ground game back because it's that what truly in my opinion makes this Baltimore Ravens offense under Lamar Jackson at the quarterback spot super super difficult to defend and makes it that much more dimensional. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the ability to run the football opens up the play-action passing game with Mark Andrews and obviously those other wideouts that I mentioned, right, uh, in terms of Lamar Jackson. So that's going to be critical. I will say, in terms of week one assessments, yes, they didn't run the football consistently and they struggled against the New York Jets. But when you have six months of prep or four months of prep for a game one environment, you got to look at game number two because it's a short week. It's a short turnaround. Seven days versus two or three 
three months. We saw a lot of underdogs cover, including the Seattle Seahawks winning the ball game outright, right? Those those valiant underdog efforts with that months, months of preparation. So you're going to get the underdog's best shot in terms of when you have multiple weeks and multiple months to break down an offensive, defensive game plan. It really is in week number two where you only have about five days to get the game plan in that you really have to see and really know which team is better in terms of you know offense and defensive productivity. So if, if Baltimore can run this weekend against Miami, then you start to look and see, okay, do they have it in gear now from weeks yeah. three and beyond? And I think that's where you can make an assessment. But I agree with you. In order for them to win against Miami, they are going to have to run the football. Let's not forget they got abused on Thursday night by two in the crew. It's going to be so interesting to see how this game plays out, Lisey. I think this game, week number two, a three-and-a-half-point spread in Baltimore's home opener will be a great indication. And again, we put everything into context and perspective. It's only week two, but two teams where we feel pretty good about them after some off-season movement and for Baltimore just getting healthier. And two teams that were impressive in week number one, Joe, both winning by more or around two touchdowns and easily covering as favorites for Miami and favorites for Baltimore, where we're going to get a better picture, at least a larger sample size here in week two of what these teams might look like the rest of the way. We see a couple of bounce back spots I want to ask you about here. The Rams, a 10.5 point favorite against the Atlanta Falcons at home on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, the Rams are expected to even up their record at 1-1 one one overall, minus 5-10 on the money line. But can the Rams cover that double-digit spread? I think they can. I think you looked at a week one matchup against New Orleans, right? One of the better defenses in the NFC, and they put up over 26 points on them. I think they're going to have an opportunity. I'm not sold on the Rams now with Stafford in terms of I need to see more, but I think they could be within the number uh, this coming Sunday, and I, I also think the Bears can as well. The Atlanta Falcons did cover as a five-and-a-half-point home underdog against New Orleans on Sunday, but the Atlanta Falcons were up 16 points, 26-10 to 10 early on in that final stanza. The Falcons are going to Falcon. We know that about them, but they were just 3-7-1 and one against the spread as an underdog last season. We flip our attention to college football up next here on Football Full Circle. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
back on Football Full Circle. Joe Lisi and Ben Stevens kicking around all college and NFL action. Ben will be joining us in just a couple of minutes. We talked about the NFL. Going to turn our attention to college football. All eyes will be on Lincoln, Nebraska, at least on the 12 o'clock window. Big battle taking place in Lincoln with Mickey Joseph, the new interim head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, taking over the reins for Scott Frost. They're 10 and a half point underdogs in Lincoln. Last year, they went down to the wire before Oklahoma prevailed with Lincoln Riley. I don't know if you remember that ball game, but that marquee interception that made all the highlight reels. One-handed grab by the Oklahoma Sooners. They prevail in that matchup. Actually, that was a game that Adrian Martinez played fairly well in. Led his team on scoring drives. They they were down by a score at the half. They, they had the lead, at a, I believe, in the third quarter, and then Oklahoma pulled away uh, in that matchup. Caleb Williams and the crew, Kennedy Brooks pulled away, and they did get that victory. But when you look at this matchup right now, high total in terms of 66.5. Last year, it was a dead under. Uh, 66.5 is and might be appealing to me, Ben, in terms of this game, because last year we had a dead under. Nebraska's off the rails. We have Casey Thompson and Mark Whipple that want to make some noise. Dylan Gabriel's hitting on all cylinders. I might pull the trigger. I know it sounds crazy, but 66 and a half might be appealing to me this coming Saturday. Lisa, yes. Uh, last week, I should say, Nebraska scored 35 or more points for the 215th time in the history of Memorial Stadium, playing home games there at the old Gray Lady in Lincoln. For the first time of that 215-time occasion, it was when they lost that football game. 214-0, Lisa, in the previous 214, scoring 35 or more points at home inside Memorial Stadium and they lose the football game to Georgia Southern. Why did they lose that? Well, they allowed Georgia (laughs) Southern to score 45 points. Nebraska has had no issue this year, Lisey, for the most part. Maybe a little bit in that second half late in the game against Northwestern and Dublin, but for the most part this year, Nebraska has had no issue scoring the football. They just can't stop teams from scoring right now. In fact, Lisey, Nebraska ranks dead last in all of the country this year in terms of total defense. Nebraska, Joe, at the moment is giving up 585 yards per game. 580 five yards per game. Nebraska is struggling mightily, Joe, on the defensive side of the football. Now, here's the only issue I have, Lisey, with that 66.5 for the over-under. Oklahoma hasn't necessarily been the high-powered offense we knew under Lincoln Riley, at least through the first two games under Brent Venables. Dylan Gabriel is the quarterback there. He has looked okay so far. Marvin Mims, who made that fantastic catch that you mentioned last year against Nebraska, he is still there as a part of this Sooners offense. But they only scored 33 last week, Joe against Kent State. It was a game that we talked about on College Football Today because Oklahoma was a 33.5 point favorite against Kent State and the total was 72.5. So Oklahoma's team total was somewhere in the margin of 50 points and they were pretty much scoreless through the entirety of the first half and only ended up with 33. That's my concern, Joe, in terms of getting us to the over of that total, but at least this year if you struggled offensively, the right team to play on the other side of the football would be that Nebraska the Cornhuskers defense. 
It is amazing to think about how bad the Nebraska defense has been since they made the switch from Frank Solich to where we are now in terms of Mickey Joseph. They just never stepped up to where the black shirts were in the mid-90s. You're absolutely right. I talked about when Mike Riley was his final season in 2016. They were giving up a buck 95 on the ground to opposing offenses. That's when Scott Frost took over. And fast forward five years, look at where we are. They might even be worse than where they were in that point when in 2017 it really is amazing I think of this though here's the other thing was Oklahoma maybe saving a little in the tank for this rivalry game knowing that they didn't step up last year that they walked through the motions they didn't put up a lot of points and Nebraska wasn't striking distance do you think this is a different team with Brett Venables they're focused they sort of know what they want to do they're more calculated and he's just trying to get them to the end in terms of a big 12 championship that they might just dominate them in terms of the rushing attack and then obviously open it up with Dylan Gabriel as this game progresses. Yeah, and and that might be the game plan for Oklahoma. And again, Joe, if you're trying to write your offensive struggles at least to begin this season, doing that against Nebraska right now seems like a very apt candidate to do that against. The Sooners, a 10.5-point favorite right now, Lisi. In terms of what we've seen already in line movement for this game, it opened at 7.5 when it became available early Sunday morning. Scott Frost was still employed as the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers after he was fired just a few hours later on Sunday. That line ballooned to 13.5, Joe, in favor of Oklahoma. It has settled kind of in the middle of those two margins at 10 and a half now. And again, it's not just the Scott Frost motivational factor. It's not just how will the absence of Frost affect this Nebraska team either positively or negatively, Joe. It's also the rivalry factor of this game. An old Big 8 rivalry where, Joe, we've seen games between Oklahoma and Nebraska be considered some of the five best games in college football history. There was a game on Thanksgiving weekend, 1971, Joe, that was known as the best game ever in the history of college football. That was a different time for this Nebraska football program, obviously, but that is the rivalry and what it means to these two fan bases coming to a head in Lincoln on Saturday. Joe, we only have one ranked versus ranked matchup here in week number three of college football. It's Texas A&M, 24th in the country still, somehow, someway, at home hosting 13th ranked Miami. Now, the A&M Aggies, Joe, are a five and a half point favorite. A&M last week loses outright at home as an 18-and-a-half-point favorite against Appalachian State, Joe. Does it make sense to you, Lisi, to still book Texas A&M as the favorite in this top 25 tilt against number 13 Miami? Yes, uh, SEC versus ACC, and we had a team in Miami that even though they had Mario Cristobal, they were just 7-5, and five. and we know that Miami struggles on the road or on a neutral field, just the way Oregon, 10-15, and 15, the last three years under, uh, under excuse me, the last 45 years under, obviously, uh, Manny Diaz and, and Mark Rick, so keep an eye out for that. That's a factor entering into this ballgame. I mean, you look at just Texas A&M, they couldn't run the football last week with Devin Akane. He only had about 65 yards in that matchup. The defenses will dictate this this game. Whichever defense could step up and put the quarterbacks into long third downs, they're going to win. But I still think there might be points here. 45 and a half is a low total. I lean to the Aggies in this ballgame, but I don't love it. i got to be honest with you. wouldn't shock me if Miami does, in fact, strike the upset, but I would lay the wood with the, uh, with the Aggies at home right now. 
Lisi, it's so interesting from that perspective, in my opinion, right? Because Miami last year, not great as a total defense, giving up nearly 405 yards per game. This year, at least early on, they rank in the top 10 in terms of what they've been able to limit to their opposing offenses. We know A&M is a pretty good defense, or at least has the talent defensively, but they got worked by App State last week. Let's not mince words here. App State pulled off the upset as an 18.5-point road underdog, but they dominated that game, Joe. They had over 42 minutes of time of possession. Texas A&M's like 17.5. It was ridiculous what A&M suffered in doing against this App State team last week. So I think we're expecting that slow, grind-it-out pace. And frankly, Joe, A&M's offense under the offensive mastermind that is Jimbo Fisher hasn't really been all that great here in his four years in College Station. They finished with a top 15 offensive unit, Joe, just once in his four seasons, generally finishing outside of the top 60. That's how bad A&M has been offensively under the Jimbo Fisher reign. Now, I asked the question, Joe, when do we see Max Johnson? You were highlighting A&M this offseason because of the LSU transfer in Max Johnson, but he lost a job in fall camp. Haynes King, who is a returning starter, has started the first two games for Texas A&M. Lisa, do you think it's time for Jimbo to make a change and go with Max Johnson against Miami? Absolutely, and if he doesn't do it before the game, he better do it by halftime if they're trailing. I'll say this. I'm not sold on Haynes King. He had interception in prior to his early exit last year in Colorado, had a couple of interceptions, and you're talking about a battle-tested quarterback in Max Johnson. Let's not forget Max Johnson led the victory in regular season finale in Baton Rouge against Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. If he can rip your defense apart in the final regular season game of the, of the season and lead his team to a bowl appearance, he's well enough to lead this offense that's absolutely pathetic. Let's not forget the quality of competition. This is not to take away from App State. But App State the previous week allowed May, right, to throw for what? 300 yards? He allowed that run, they, uh, they allowed that rushing uh, offense of North Carolina 215 on the ground, over 500 yards of total offense? You can't put up more than 14, 15 points on App State? Are you kidding me? And one was a kickoff right. return by Devin Ankane? Right. This offense needs a jolt. And it's Max Johnson or bust the rest of the way, in my opinion. It's a great point, Joe. And Jimbo, rightfully so, in my opinion, when you pay him so much money, as Texas A&M has, not just to recruit, but to develop and be that offensive mind that we all thought we were witnessing in 2013 with Florida State and Jameis Winston as his quarterback, that Jimbo has failed on expectation in College Station. Let's not mince words about this. Jimbo Fisher, at most, has won eight games in his four regular seasons so far as the head coach in College station, Joe. Their win total before the year was 8.5. The over was juiced at minus 170. It's down to 7.5 now. Yes, the over has the juice, but 8 wins is not the expectation for Texas A&M. Contending for the SEC West title, playing in conference championship games, and being a true factor in the college football playoff conversation, Joe, that is what A&M expects to be under Jimbo Fisher. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We continue rolling right here on Football Full Circle on the Sports Grid Radio Network. All right, let's continue going through the week three slate for college football. Lisi, we'll have our full-blown college football show tomorrow here on FFC, but we look at a couple of the lines already for week number three. But before we dive into specific game matchups, Joe, let's go back to A&M because we were making the point about where Texas A&M and where Jimbo Fisher has faltered so far in his tenure and already this season. Season, losing outright last week as an 18.5 point home favorite against App State. Joe, they were one of four teams booked as a 17.5 point favorite or higher to lose the football game outright. Their win total, Lisi, was 8.5, was the Aggies before entering this 2022 season. After this second week loss, that is down to 7.5 now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The over still has the juice at minus 160, Joe, which would mean that based on the odds, they're an eight-win football team. But again, eight wins is not what Jimbo Fisher is held to. It is not that standard. It has been the standard, but it cannot be the standard anymore to consider yourself one of the best coaches in all of the sport. He can recruit like crazy, Joe, as we have seen. The off-season conversation was around that best-ever recruiting class heading to College Station this year. But the three years prior, Lisi, he had a top-ten class as well. So that's four years years of top 10 classes on the roster currently not the future right here right now and they're still losing football games as an 18 and a half point favorite Joe they're expected to win against Appalachian State where do you think Texas A&M goes from here the rest of the 2022 season I think they have to win out, like a, a ten and two, eleven and one season, and one of those wins have to has to be a back to back victory over Alabama and Tuscaloosa. You cannot go four and four in the SEC last year, right? Lose to teams like Miss State, lose to teams like Arkansas, where you're favorite, and then knock off Alabama as an eighteen and a half point dog, get the number one ranked recruiting class, and then follow it up with a mediocre season and get blown out by the likes of LSU and the Arkansas and all the rest. You can't can't have it. 
you know, he would be fired. That's like Gus Malzahn. It's the exact same thing where Gus Malzahn would knock off Nick Saban every other year. He would go 10-4 and four or 10-3 and three or 8-5, and five, and then all of a sudden he'd be have his job for five, six years down the road. But that's not acceptable in the SEC West. He's getting paid $9.5 million when Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman have better offenses than him right now. He came to, to uh, College Station as a guru on the offensive side of the ball. Heck, Brian Kelly and LSU might have a more consistent offense entering week number three than Texas A&M right now. I mean, seriously. Lisi, as of right now, Texas A&M is tied for one of the bottom 30 scoring offenses in all of college football, only averaging 22.5 points per game. It is the same number that Florida averages. However, Florida's first two opponents have been much more difficult than that of Texas A&M. Florida opening with Utah and then a Kentucky SEC game week number two. So they are, in my opinion, the bottom scoring offense in all of the SEC. Even Vandy, Joe, averages more points per game than A&M. Missouri averages more points per game than A&M. It is something that needs to change quickly. We will keep an eye on that quarterback room this week in College Station, certainly in the game against Miami. Again, A&M is a five-and-a-half point favorite, but I don't know if they should be favored. That total is only 45-and-a-half, showing that we might not see a ton of offense, and if it is another slow start for the Aggies, it might be time to turn to Max Johnson, the transfer from LS you. All right, Joe, let's continue walking around a little bit here as we get going for week number three of the college football season. Lisi, here's a game that we talked about briefly yesterday, right before we closed out the show, because we've seen so much line movement on it. I need your deeper thoughts. That would be Michigan State and Washington. Now, the Spartans are ranked 11th in the country, but that's not really what I'm held up on here, Joe. We often see the odds and the rankings not necessarily agree at every point. One is predictive, the other takes into account a ton of context. But Michigan State, Joe, I remember this distinctly because we had this conversation in one of those slow summer days and the dog days of summer looking ahead to big games in the college football season. And I looked at this week three game. I made the point on here, Joe. I made the point on Twitter. I said to myself, Michigan State only laying a point on the road at Washington, already my best bet of the 2022 college football season. And it's happening week number three, the third Saturday of the year. And a lot of Spartans fans engaged with that. They're like, let's lock it in. We pushed the line up to three, Joe in favor of MSU, but now we get ready to go on Saturday night in Seattle, and it's not Michigan State as a three-point favorite. It's Michigan State, Lisey, as a three-and-a-half-point underdog on the road against UW. What do you make of that substantial market movement? Well, I, do you believe in Washington's offense led by Michael Penix? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, they're averaging 384 passing yards per game, so they can challenge, obviously, that secondary, which was the weak part of Michigan State last year. That is going to be the yep. matchup from an offensive perspective, and if I, I'm not mistaken, I mean, Michael Penix is completing 69% of his passes. They're well over 50% in terms of third-down conversions, so if you can sustain drives at home, right, you're going to keep even a a methodical offense with Peyton Thorne and those running backs on the sidelines. So that's going to be, obviously, you know, the matchup. Can Michael Penix challenge them over the top? Can he make some plays with his legs and then jump up early? I think if they jump up early in Seattle, I think it's lights out because I think that's where Peyton Thorne is at a disadvantage. As good as he is, he's one of the best quarterbacks, in my opinion, in the Big Ten. But you tra- if they play from behind, even though he has Coleman and, and Jalen Reed, I still think they're built 
built to play with the running backs, and that's where you could take the running game that's averaging 228 on the on the ground, on the sidelines, and that's where maybe the matchup falls. I lean to Michael Penix in Washington, but I don't love this game in any capacity. Lisi, that's such an interesting point, right? Because Michael Penix Jr., the transfer from Indiana, knows the Michigan State Spartans. He played them twice in his career in Bloomington, 2019 and 2020. Threw for over 300 yards in both of those games. Did not play against MSU last year, having his year cut short by injury yet again. But he has that experience. He's reunited with his former Indiana offensive coordinator in Kalen DeBoer, who is now the head coach, of course, for Washington. And not only is Washington throwing the ball around, Joe, they're also defending the pass incredibly well. The seventh best passing defense in the country so far this year, only giving up 121.5 points per game. But they haven't played the stiffest competition just yet. But even last year, Joe, Washington, who struggled a season ago, was the best passing defense in the country, allowing less than 147 yards through the air. But Trent McDuffie was there. They had some talent that is now in the NFL, a slightly different UW team, but they still kept that mark up there, Joe, as one of the best best pass defenses in all of the country. So I think you're right. I think the game plan for Michigan State is trusting Jalen Berger and trusting that ground attack for Michigan State to be good this season and to be good this game on the road in Seattle against UW. That, in my opinion, is Michigan State's recipe for success because Peyton Thorne has struggled a little bit here early on in the 2022 college football season. I just think Michigan State up and down the roster is a more talented football team, Joe. And that's how I look at this football game. I know they're ranked 11th, and I'm not looking at the ranking versus the non-ranked side here and wondering why Washington is favored from that perspective. I just think the Spartans are more talented. I think they go on the road where I know it's plagued Big Ten teams in the past to make that late-night trip over to Washington, over the Pacific Northwest, out on the West Coast. It has not been a recipe for success, but I still think Michigan State has the edge in this football game, maybe even looking at the money line at plus one thirty. Another Big Ten team, we see on the road on Saturday on the Plains in Auburn at Jordan Harris Stadium. Auburn hosting number twenty-two Penn State, but this time the ranked Big Ten team, we see, is not an underdog of three and a half points, but a favorite booked laying three and a half points. All the Nittany Lions on the road against the Tigers, Joe, and a total that works its way down as well. Forty-seven and a hook is that number for the over/under between Auburn and Penn State. Yeah, this one I'm starting to like more and more. I like Penn State on the on the road here, and it's Big Ten versus SEC. Obviously, Tank Bigsby going to have to take this game over for the Auburn Tigers, but I really favor uh, Porter and that secondary going up against whoever's quarterback, whether it be Ashford, whether it be Finley. I'm not sold on the passing game for Auburn. I think it's pedestrian at best. They are going to need to work off a of play action. What I do like is an experienced quarterback in Clifford. They got Singleton involved in that offense. They have those running backs of Lee and Allen that they could use in the passing game as well. I think Parker Washington breaks out. I like the way they're playing from a defensive perspective. Even though the offense hasn't been as consistent on third downs, they're only converting about 30%. I think the defense can win in this ball game. give them short fields, and that's where I think the experience of Clifford takes over. It's over that key number of three, but I'm not backing down. I think Penn State wins a very close ball game, anywhere from maybe yeah. it's seven to ten points, but I do feel they prevail on the plane Saturday afternoon. 
The numbers look very similar, Joe, from that odds perspective to last year in Happy Valley mm-hmm. between the Nittany Lions and the Tigers. Penn State was, I think, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Auburn last year, and they covered that number. It was start. It was the part of a 5-0 and start for Penn State that saw them all the way up to number four in the country as they flew out to Iowa City to take, the Hawkeye, to take on the Hawkeyes last year. That is an area for Penn State again for Penn State to be in this spot even on the road on the plains in Auburn I think Penn State's the right side Joe I really do the total intrigues me though 47 and a half now Penn State was pretty good last week against Ohio but they allowed Purdue to rack up 31 points and Penn State has scored to keep pace with their first two opponents how much does Auburn add on to that offensive total that will be my area of concern Joe as you look at that small total at 47 and a half for Saturday afternoon between Penn State and Auburn. All right, Joe. Let's go to a couple of bounce back spots here, potentially, huh? Let's look at Notre Dame in California. The Irish looking for their first win of this year against the Cal team here, Joe, where they're only booked as a ten and a half point home favorite in South Bend on Saturday afternoon. Is this it? Is Marcus Freeman going to get his first win at the helm of this Notre Dame football program? They're favored to do so, Lisey, but they were favored by 20 and a half last week against Marshall and lost that game outright. Yeah, now, Henry Columbi had some had some zip in that ball, right? He challenged them over the top. That opened up the rushing attack. I think Notre Dame maybe can win, but I would still take the points with Justin Wilcox and Cal. I have no faith in Marcus Freeman right now. Hasn't showed halftime adjustments. I think at this point in both of their careers, Wilcox is a much better game preparer in terms of his team and a better defensive-minded coach with the talent that he has than where Marcus Freeman is right here with this talent in Notre Dame. I would take the points with Cal. I don't know if they get the upset win, but I think they're going to be within the number from start to finish. It is also an incredibly low total. Big Ten standards of a total there, Joe. 40 and a half mm. for California, Cal, and Notre Dame on Saturday afternoon. Of course, no Tyler Buckner. He is out for maybe the rest of this season. It's going to be Drew Pine as the quarterback for Marcus Freeman and the Irish on Saturday against Cal. Lisi, a quick line flip here with my alma mater. Syracuse originally booked as a point and a half underdog at home against Purdue, now laying the point and a half against the Boilermakers on Saturday up in central New York. What are your thoughts on that football game? Yeah, I'm leaning to Purdue. I'm not backing down now. Aiden O'Connell, crazy things happen, but I'm going to take the better offense and the better defense. Give me Purdue outright plus the 100. I cannot wait for those props to become available and see what the rushing props look like for one Sean Tucker of the Syracuse Orange. Much more football full circle to come up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We are back for just a few more minutes here on Football Full Circle, live right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius XM Channel 159. All right, Lacey, let's finish with another game that has a three-and-a-half-point spread. As you can tell, that might be the theme of the weekend in college football. This is also a top-25 matchup. I mistakenly misspoke earlier on. Number 12, BYU, against number 25, Oregon. And it's the Ducks, Joe, back in the top 25, somehow, somewhere as a three-and-a-half-point home favorite against the Cougs in Eugene on Saturday. Where is Lisi leaning for this one? I saw originally Oregon at home. I'm like, oh, yeah, Bo Nix bounces back. And then I'm like, you know what? Let me think about this. The fact that there was a double overtime game, that's why I believe we're seeing the, the flip in terms of the movement. It was BYU earlier, three and a half. Now they're three and a half, just like Michigan State game. I like Jaron Hall. I like the physicality of BYU. I think they're going to be able to run it on Oregon. Tough game, but I'm going to take the Cougars with the points and outright. And I love the total of over 57 and a half. Lisi, let's look at this right now. The Oregon Ducks played Georgia and got absolutely dismantled. Georgia scored on its first seven drives offensively in that football game. Perfect. Seven for seven. They played Eastern Washington. They ran Eastern Washington off the football field. Whoop-de-doo. EWU, although producing some NFL talent up there at the FCS level, is an FCS team. I'm not entirely sure why Oregon is back in the top 25. And I know rankings don't necessarily mean the odds. And I'm not necessarily sure why 25th ranked Oregon is favored in this football game over 12th ranked BYU. Like Lisi, I think the Cougs have a dynamic playmaker in Jaron Hall. I think Jaron Hall utilizes a ground game that will be physically demanding for Dan Lanning and Oregon on Saturday afternoon. And Lisi, I lean with the underdog as well. Have those Cougs go barking at plus 140. He is Joe Lisi. I am Ben Stevens. That does it for us here on Football Full Circle on the Sports Grid Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow with a college football focus. But up next, it's the Money Line, live right here on Sports Grid Radio. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.